Well, good evening, ABC College. Hope you guys are doing well on this Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in yet again to our theology and doctrine study that we're doing this summer called CORE. Uh, it's a rainy and cloudy Wednesday here in Tuscaloosa, but no matter where you're at, we hope this finds you well. Maybe it's a little uh, more sunny <laughs> where you're at. Uh, but either way, we're looking forward to another week of this study. The past two weeks, we've been talking about Jesus and specifically who He is and what He's done for us. And this week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And as you can see up here, I've kind of got some fancy lights you know, going on and a little bit more of a, of a moody setting. And I did that on purpose because you know, talking about the Holy Spirit, many times as Christians, I think we think of the Holy Spirit as this very mysterious force, you know, uh, very much like maybe the force even in Star Wars, you know, where uh, we don't really quite understand it. There are certain people who have more access to it, who maybe get more power from it than other people. But it's this, this kind of strange thing that we think of the Holy Spirit moving in worship services with, you know, fancy lights and fog and things like that. But we kind of struggle sometimes to think about how the Spirit is at work in our daily lives. We even have whole denominations kind of built around what the Spirit, they believe, does and doesn't do. And they put a lot of emphasis on the work of the Spirit. We have whole parts of theology that are kind of, you know, saying what the Spirit doesn't do today. So the Spirit is this really interesting and sometimes divisive topic in the church. But I thought it'd be really helpful tonight for us to spend a little bit of time just talking about the Holy Spirit. And specifically, what does the Spirit do? What are some of the roles that the Spirit uniquely has in the world and in our lives. So we're going to go and get right into this tonight, but as a note of reference, just want to say that a lot of things I'm talking about tonight and sharing are coming from a great theology book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. So if you want to go more deep into this, that's a great book to get. It's pretty thick, um, but it's a worthy read if you ever want to go deeper. Um, but that's just one of, my, one of my references tonight I thought I'd be helpful to talk about. So first off, speaking of Wayne Grudem, uh, I want to share a quote he gives about the work of the Spirit that I think is really helpful to get our conversation started tonight. So he says this, he says, The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. And I like that, because the Spirit is the member of the Trinity that seems to be the most present to do God's work in the world. You know, the Spirit manifests, like he says here, which means to make clear and tangible. You know, the Spirit manifests God's presence to us. And the Spirit completes and sustains God's work that He has begun in the world. And especially in our New Covenant time, here after Jesus has come and done His work and ascended to heaven, you know, here and now, the Spirit is the primary manifestation of God's presence among us. So it's really important for us to be aware and understand the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do is we're going to boil down the work of the Holy Spirit into five different things. The five things are this. The Spirit empowers. The Spirit purifies. The Spirit reveals. The Spirit unifies. And the Spirit responds. Okay? We'll do those five things and we'll be good tonight. So first off, the Spirit empowers. What are some ways the Spirit empowers? Well, the Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit gives life to every living creature in the world. Consider Psalm 104.30. It says, When you send forth your Spirit, they are created. They being every creature in the world. They're created. Consider Job 34.14-15. says that, Should God take back His Spirit to Himself 
and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. So we get the idea that the Spirit gives and sustains all life in creation. The Spirit also gives new spiritual life to a person when they become a Christian and are born again, something we call regeneration, which we'll talk more about in a few weeks. John 3, 6 and 7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which, of, which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. John 6.63 says, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The Spirit also gives power for serving. In the Old Testament, the Spirit empowered people for special service. He empowered Joshua with leadership skills and wisdom. He empowered the judges to deliver Israel from their oppressors. He empowered King David to rule when he was anointed king. The Spirit also protected God's people and empowered them to overcome their enemies. Isaiah 63 says that God had put His Spirit in the midst of Israel during the Exodus. Uh, when Saul was trying to kill King David, or the soon-to-be King David, the Spirit came upon Saul and caused Saul to fall on the ground and prophesy for hours instead of being able to pursue David. In Isaiah 11:42 and 61, the Old Testament even prophesies and predicts a time when the Spirit would anoint a Messiah to serve in power. So then in the New Testament, we also see the Spirit at work empowering. We see the Spirit in His anointing and empowering uh, work in Jesus as the Messiah. The Spirit descended on Jesus at His baptism, and then Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, according to Luke 4. Luke 4 also says that when Christ returned from the wilderness, He returned in the power of the Spirit. And that power was then seen all throughout His miracles and His powerful teaching in life. The Spirit also empowered Jesus' disciples for ministry. In Acts 1.8, a famous verse, Jesus tells His disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That then happened at Pentecost when the Spirit descended upon the disciples and filled them there. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Spirit wasn't at work before Pentecost. It just means that at Pentecost and ever since then, the Spirit has been working a uniquely powerful and a more full way in the world. And then after Pentecost, the Spirit empowered Christians to be a bold witness in the world. You know, sometimes the Spirit empowered them to work miracles and heal people. But either way, the Spirit empowered them to be bold in preaching the gospel. We see in Acts that when Christians shared the gospel and they shared the, the gospel message in words with somebody, it really was the Spirit that communicated the message of the gospel to people's hearts so that, so that they could believe, which is good news for us today, that when we share the gospel, we just have to be faithful to share the gospel message, knowing that only the Holy Spirit can change people's hearts. We can't save anybody, but we still are called to be faithful to share. Uh, but also, the Spirit here in the New Testament time uh, gives certain gifts and empowers people with spiritual gifts for ministry. You can read about those in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, but also the Spirit empowers us as we pray. First, uh, Romans 8.26 says that even when we don't understand and, and don't know how to express certain prayers to God, that the Spirit expresses our groans to God in, in ways that we can't, can't say, which is good news for us, especially when you just you're praying, you're just burdened, but you can't find the right words. The Spirit's praying for you. But lastly, the Spirit also empowers people to overcome spiritual opposition to the preaching of the gospel. We see that in Jesus casting out demons. We see that in Paul fighting spiritual warfare in Acts 13. 
And today, we're engaged in spiritual warfare as well, even if we don't know it. And the Spirit is the source of our power in that fight. So that's number one. But number two, the Holy Spirit also purifies. You know, when someone becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit does this initial work of purification in them, where it helps them break the pattern of sin that they had before. They're no longer a slave to sin. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Paul says, You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. It's a past tense. It's already happened in their life. But after this initial break with sin, the Spirit begins this work of growing us in holiness, something we call sanctification. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But the Spirit begins to produce fruit in our life, what Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're probably singing the the VBS song now, but those are the fruit that the Spirit produces in our life. And in this process of sanctification, we're being transformed to be more like Christ, which means that we put sin to death, that we say yes to God, we say yes to holiness, yes to the way God wants us to live in the world, and we grow in that process all throughout our lives. But number three, the Holy Spirit also reveals. Uh, The Holy Spirit has provided revelation to people all throughout history, to the prophets and to the apostles. The Holy Spirit has spoken truth and revealed things to them so that they could communicate it to other people. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us um, that in the Old Testament, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for the New Testament, that those men, those apostles, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who revealed truth to them. The Holy Spirit also reveals by giving us evidence of God's presence. In Judges, the Spirit came upon 70 elders and Moses to enable them to do great works of power and to make it evident that God was present with them. Uh, The Spirit made God's presence evident when He descended upon Jesus like a dove when He was baptized. He made His presence evident when He descended upon the disciples at Pentecost. The Spirit, even for us, bears witness that we're children of God, according to Galatians 4. The Spirit provides a guarantee of our future fellowship with God in heaven, according to 2 Corinthians 1. And the Spirit reveals God's will to us so we can follow Him, according to Romans 8. So it really seems that the Spirit, one of its main jobs today, is to make God's presence more known and to make us more aware of God's presence in our lives. The Spirit also guides and directs God's people. Uh, In the New Testament, we see the Spirit directing people like Philip and Peter to go to certain places. We even see the Spirit directing a whole church to um, set apart Barnabas and Saul for ministry. One time, the Spirit even teleported a guy named Philip to place him exactly where he wanted him to be to share the gospel. But the Spirit also guides and directs Christians moment by moment, not just in the big times. In general, yes, we have the, the guidelines of Scripture as a way to know how we should live, but the Spirit also is continually at work guiding us to say no to sin, and to say yes to the things of God. And sometimes that will involve a more acute, direct awareness of something we should or shouldn't do. But Galatians 5 tells us to walk by the Spirit, which I think means we have a responsibility to grow in how well we listen to the Holy Spirit. And over time, we can grow more in practicing God's presence moment by moment. And we can grow in being more in tune with the Spirit and being more obedient to Him, maybe even more than we ever thought possible. But also, the Holy Spirit provides a holy atmosphere when He manifests 
His presence. You know, that can be in individual lives, that can be in groups of people. You know, sometimes the Spirit's going to bring a, a sense of conviction over sin, over righteousness, over judgment, like John 16 says. But sometimes the Spirit is going to manifest a strong presence of God's love or peace or joy. You may have experienced that uh, in a worship service before. It doesn't have to be with fancy lights and, and fog, you know, but the Spirit does a unique work of revealing God's presence and revealing maybe a sense of love, joy, and peace sometimes when we, we gather together. The Spirit also reveals as it gives assurance. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The Spirit can give us assurance many times on an emotional and spiritual level and give us assurance that we're God's children. And we got to be careful to not base the truth of our salvation, not base facts on our feelings, because feelings come and go. You know, sometimes you're not going to feel like a Christian, you know, but at times the Spirit will give us assurance and confidence in our salvation. And I think that comes even more as we walk in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit also reveals by teaching and illuminating things in our lives. The Spirit teaches us things, and then it sometimes shines a light on things that we can understand them. Uh, Jesus said in John 14 that the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Uh, in various places in Acts, the Spirit reveals specific information for people to do ministry. And as far as illumination, the Spirit enables us to understand spiritual things, things that we couldn't naturally maybe understand about God. Uh, that can include a better understanding of Scripture. That could also just include how to live more wisely in light of eternity. But number four, the Spirit unifies. Consider just the way that Luke describes the early church in Acts 2. He says, And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and distributed them to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people." And then throughout the New Testament, there's all kinds of calls for unity, and there's all kinds of examples of how the Spirit unifies believers together. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul calls this the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not the fellowship of the ring, but the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That word fellowship isn't just casseroles at a Baptist get-together. It's also the same word for participation, a joint kind of sharing in life in Christ together. And that unity doesn't mean uniformity, though. Because Paul talks about other places that the church is like a body, that each part has different functions. They're different, but they're unified together as one body. And one sign that the Spirit is at work in a church is some evidence of harmony, of unity, of peace and love for each other. And we see that more and more as people in the church walk in the Spirit together. And number five, and we'll be done, is that the Holy Spirit responds. Here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence of the presence and blessing of God according to our response to Him, that He responds to our obedience. There's lots of examples of this, but there's many examples of how the Holy Spirit will bless or remove blessing according to how we obey. Jesus, who was without sin, had the Holy Spirit remain on Him, according to John 1. But then there was King Saul, who disobeyed God, and in his disobedience and his continued disobedience, the Holy Spirit departed from him, according to 1 Samuel 16. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul tells the church not to grieve the Holy Spirit 
And in 1 Thessalonians, he tells them not to quench the Spirit. So we get this idea that based on our obedience to the Spirit and to its leading, we can actually suppress the Spirit's influence, and we can also limit our sensitivity to the Spirit. The New Testament even talks about the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, look at Matthew 12, 31 and 32. It says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, in context, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who had just been calling the work of the Spirit the work of Satan. And Jesus says this kind of blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And before we get too caught up in that, it's important to realize that Jesus is talking about an intentional and lifelong rejection of the Spirit, not just a one-time thing, because the Apostle Paul technically committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because he called the work of God the work of Satan. That's why he was killing Christians, but yet he definitely was saved and able to be forgiven. But Jesus is saying that a consistent and lifelong denial and rejection of the Spirit's power is unforgivable, which makes sense because that means that ultimately you're, you're rejecting Christ and there's no other way to be saved outside of Him. But overall, the Bible makes it clear that we should be very careful not to grieve and deny the Holy Spirit. If we continue in that, it's very likely He'll remove blessing from our lives. On the other hand, though, if we obey the Holy Spirit, He will be present in our lives to bless us. Now, we're not talking about material blessings necessarily, like comfort and, and you know, uh, money, but we're talking about spiritual blessings. And sometimes obedience in the Spirit may actually bring suffering in our lives even as we're blessed. It may remove some of the physical you know, comforts, but we receive more spiritual blessing. I mean, consider the way that 1 Peter 4.14 says it. It says that if you're reproached by God, sorry, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That even in your suffering, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So sometimes our definitions of blessing are different than what God would say. But it's important and it's possible for us overall to live each day in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible describes all kinds of things that we can do in the Spirit. We can rejoice in the Spirit. We can decide something in the Spirit. We can have our conscience bear witness in the Spirit. We can have access to God in the Spirit. We can pray in the Spirit. We can love in the Spirit. So how can you begin to practice the presence of God each day by being more aware of the Spirit's presence in your life and, and listening moment by moment to the way He may be leading you? That's not easy. It starts off with learning to still your mind, to have a quiet heart, and to listen. But overall, it's very possible to do this and to grow in this practice. And it can even be aided more by some spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude, by getting away for some quiet moments uh, quiet moments with God by turning off your phone, putting away technology, and just being still before God. But lastly, the Bible also talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the way that Wayne Grudem defines being filled with the Spirit. He says it's to be filled with the immediate presence of God Himself, and it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, praying and ministering in God's strength, and knowing with the knowledge which God Himself gives. I love that definition. And while this is a daily practice, 
is something that we can work on each day to be filled more with the Spirit. But there's actually a, a practical way I heard this described recently that I like a lot. Um, it was this word spiritual breathing coined by the founder of Crew, Bill Bright. But he's kind of coined this phrase spiritual breathing as a way that we can practically work out being filled with the Spirit each day. And I want to read you how one Christian describes how they do spiritual breathing on a daily basis. He says it this way. He says, I identify the anger or lust or jealousy I've allowed to enter my mind and heart. Then specifically confess it to God. Like our physical breathing, this is exhaling the bad air, followed by inhaling a big dose of the fresh, clean air. I do this by thanking Him for forgiving and cleansing me with the purifying blood Jesus shed on the cross for my sins. Then I pray, now fill me with your spirit. Control me. Help me abide in Christ. Work in me and through me today that I can walk in faith and obedience. I may or may not feel forgiven or filled, but we can trust Jesus' promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, which is First John 1, 9. I love that idea that we can practically work out being filled with the Spirit throughout the day by taking times that we know that we need to confess some sin and breathe out and exhale that dirty air and breathe in the Spirit to confess sin and then breathe in the gospel and be reminded of truth, be reminded of who we are in Christ. And that's something that we can do all throughout the day. It's just as simple as breathing. You can be having that conversation with God in your heart and mind. And even as you literally physical breathe, physically breathe, you can be confessing and also be taking in the truth of the gospel. Again, I think it's a great practice to, to work out practically how to be filled with the Spirit each day. But overall, I hope tonight's been helpful for you. I hope it's been helpful for you to see that the Spirit is an essential part of life as a Christian, that everything we do as a Christian needs to be done in the power of the Spirit. Uh, like John 6, 63 says, the Spirit gives life. The flesh, which is our own works, our own abilities, is no help at all. So for us then, let's work to be people who are dependent on the Spirit in everything. You know, let's listen to the Spirit, let's obey the Spirit, and let's rely on the power of the Spirit, not our flesh, not our own works, not our own strength, because it's only in the Spirit that real change is going to come. But next week, we're going to talk about salvation, and we'll spend two weeks on that, uh, talking about what it means to be saved, talk about justification, sanctification, glorification, adoption, all kinds of fancy words uh, like that. I think it'll be very helpful for us. Um, but until then, if you have any questions about tonight's talk, as always, you can send a text to the number here on the screen, and we'd love to try to respond to that uh, next week. Uh, but besides that, we hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you soon.